Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Elm City Vineyard um, on, on everyone's favorite Sunday, St. Patrick's Day Parade Day. Um, the few, the proud, the, uh, the, the persistent, you found a place to park, you took your, you didn't know you were having a hike today before you came to church, but at least, I don't know if you were like me, um, I got my steps in. Um, I want to start today with a, with a story, um, and I was, I was shocked to realize how old this story is. This story is like more than 15 years, years ago, but it seems rather recent to me. Um, in uh, September of 2006, um, I, have, I, I have the journal <laughs> to prove it. In September of 2006, um, more than a year before this church was planted, at the prodding of a good friend of mine, um, I went to go hear Heidi Baker, who's a, a missionary um, in Mozambique, um, speak here in New Haven. And, you know, for the previous uh, three years, I had been a divinity school, and, uh, a divinity school student. <laughs> Hadn't been a school. That would be amazing. Um, but I had been at divinity school, and I had um, also at the same time been um, a youth pastor at the uh, New Haven Vineyard, the church out of which ECV was planted. But um, by that September, Hannah and I had just uh, taken that youth group, uh, those youth group students, on one final service trip and stepped down from that without uh, great certainty or clarity about what was coming next. Um, I had a, a strong sense that God was up to something um, new in the home group that we were leading at the time. Um, that home group was the group that would eventually become the Elm City Vineyard, but we didn't know that yet at that time. We thought we knew enough, though, that when I sensed a call to pursue a PhD in the study of the New Testament, I had applied to the only PhD program that would have let me stay in New Haven um, with that home group community and whatever God was doing next in and through it. And that, so that program was at Yale, um, and Having put all my eggs in that basket, I did not get in. I will never forget the conversation I found out from a student who was currently, currently in the PhD program, um, not through official channels, at least not at first. Um, and I will never forget as she sat across a table from me and just, asked, and just said, like, well, you know, like, hardly anybody gets into this program. Like, surely you had other plans. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, my plan was to follow Jesus, and I thought this was the step, right? And I thought God was leading me somewhere in this tension between academia and ministry, um, and that was kind of the only step that I could see that would hold that tension, um, and it came up empty. And so after that last service trip with the youth group, we spent the rest of the summer in Ghana. It was a sort of like Hail Mary plan, chasing down some hunches of where God might be leading us, fishing for identity and vocation, wherever we might find it. And you know, that summer ended up being really, really formative, but it didn't really answer my main questions about my life. And so upon returning from Ghana, that was September 2006, for the first time in three years, I was no longer a pastor or a student and so there I was in this room filled mostly with people that I didn't know asking these two fundamental questions, two of the most fundamental questions that I take it we can ask about ourselves. Who am I and what am I supposed to do? 
I thought maybe I was a pastor or a scholar to be all sorts of folks were pretty convinced that I needed to choose one or the other, and at the moment it seemed like neither. And I thought maybe I was supposed to pursue a PhD and stay involved in whatever God was doing in this community that was following Jesus, um, that was becoming so life-giving for me, but right for, at that moment it seemed like that was at best an either-or proposition. All these questions, should I apply again to PhD programs, should I prioritize staying in New Haven? A lot of people have given me a lot of advice, some of it really good, I mean, I had spent a ton of time trying to puzzle it out. But the fact was, I didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to be about in the world, and I was tired of trying to figure it out myself. And so that night, sitting in that room as we were worshiping and sort of turning the corner to, to, to hear a message from, from Heidi, and, and, and we were um, uh, about to turn the corner to, to, to pray, um, I, I found myself at first on my knees, and then on my hands, and then like just face on the floor. There wasn't a lot of space. It was a little bit awkward, but that's where I was at, right? Like I, I was just like, I give up. I give up. I surrender. I, 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 I'm not going to figure it out, Lord. But here I am. And I was just desperate for God to tell me who I was and what I was supposed to put my hands to. You know, this Lent, we're taking a look at what we're calling postures of humility. Taking a look at the ways that our bodies help us adopt and communicate particular postures before God. And this week, the posture that we're going to focus on is this posture of bowing down. As we do that, I just want to, I want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are at work in this city you are at work in this community. You are at work right here in this room right now. And so we just pray, have your way. Speak to us, form us, tell us who we are, call us in the directions that you are leading. Amen. So our text this week comes from the Psalms, the sort of ancient prayer book of the people of God. And I think maybe Josh read some of this psalm last week, but this week we're going to focus in on just these two verses. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture the flock under his care. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. So this key term that we're focusing in on today, bow down. Bow down is actually sort of the generic word in the Hebrew Bible for worship. It shows up almost 200 times, and about two-thirds of those times it's used with reference to God, but the other third of the time it's used with reference to just a, a human king. And that's basically, I think, actually the sort of core idea. To bow down is to assume a posture of submission before a king. I mean, we hardly need to do a bunch of technical language study to figure this out. We could. 
I gave you some of the fruit of that. <laughs> but when you bow down before someone, you are submitting to them. You're recognizing a power difference. When you bow down, you're not saying like, hey, let's, uh, let, let's begin a negotiation. <laughs> right? When I'm bowing, I'm not asserting my own rights or my own insights or establishing myself as an equal. I, I'm saying, you have something I don't. You are something I am not. And maybe that's a, a pretty rough sketch of the matter, but I, I think it really is the heart of it. Bowing down is an act of submission. It's a posture of submission. And bowing down in worship means lying prostrate before God without holding anything back, without making any sort of claim. It means the end of my agenda, my desires, my program, my plan, and the beginning of God's agenda, God's desires, God's program, God's plan in my life. And I take it this is what should be happening in all of our worship, all of our lives, but it becomes tangible and real in this very particular way when we kneel, and I think especially when we bow down. There's something that our bodies know that our hearts can tap into. Something we can feel in our arms and our legs and our back outstretched in our inner ears as we have a sense that we are looking downwards. When we bow down head to the floor, our whole selves are exposed. We're vulnerable. We're available. We are offered, as Josh said last week, as living sacrifices. When we bow down, we recognize who God is. When we bow, we recognize that the one before whom we bow is worthy of our submission. He, the Lord, is our God. Our God, not our peer. Not our, like, slightly better, <laughs> but our God. Not our negotiation partner or even our primary source of tips and tricks towards a better life. The Lord is God. Flat on our faces is an appropriate posture. But when we bow, we also recognize that the one before whom we bow is trustworthy in our submission. He is our God. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the source of every good thing. And God will not take advantage of our submission or abuse God's power. And that can be really challenging for us because we haven't encountered a whole bunch of people who, haven't, who have had a whole lot of power who haven't abused it in one way or another. But the psalm is, and the, in the, in the, in the scripture is as a whole, insistent about this. God is good. God can be trusted. We can make ourselves vulnerable, available to God in ways that we can't and ought not before anyone else. But it's, I was about to say it's safe. It's not, it's never safe, right? We've all read Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. It's not safe, but it's good to be bowed down before God. And so we have to say these two things, that God is worthy of our submission, that God is also trustworthy with our vulnerability and our availability. 
And sometimes it's, that, that's a hard balance to keep. Sometimes it's easy to imagine that God is worthy of having us submit to God. God is, actually, uh, Micah, if you can take that, thanks. Um, God is worthy of having us submit to God. God is powerful, holy, unlike us, worthy, worthy, worthy. But we can forget that this God who is worthy of our worship is also trustworthy of all in all the vulnerability and availability that comes along with that. Or sometimes it can be the other way around. We can focus on God's goodness. It is good for us to submit to God. And we can begin to think about God as just another good option for our lives. I've got a couple ways to sort of move through the life. And God's a sort of good source along with all the others. Take it or leave it, though. That trustworthy God, that source of every good thing, would be worthy of our worship regardless God is both worthy and trustworthy, good and good to us. This is the one before whom we are invited to bow down in worship. Oh, this will be relevant in a moment. I spoiled it. It's okay. But this is just the first step, I take it, right? We we bow down, but when you bow down before a king or queen, you are setting at the table for that monarch to speak and to act. And maybe we can call to mind this sort of stereotypical sort of European knighting ceremony, right? The sword and the, and the I dub thee sir or, or dame and all that. The knight-to-be bows, the king or queen gives them a new name, a new title, and then perhaps gives them a mission. And I take it that this is more or less what we ought to have in mind when we think about what it means to bow down before God, to bow down before a king. When we bow down before God in worship, God tells us who we are and tells us what we are to do. And we actually see this in our psalm. Right after the psalmist reminds us that the Lord is God, the psalmist goes on to say, We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. The Lord is God. We are God's people. The two go together. When we bow down to acknowledge with our bodies God's authority, we actually learn who we are. We learn who we are. And and spoiler alert, we are not our jobs We are not our achievements or lack thereof. We are not only our histories or our families. We are the people of God, united with one another, under God's protection, and in God's care. And some of us are here today, and we desperately need to know who we are, who we truly are. And maybe we've been trying to puzzle it out ourselves. Maybe we've even asked a a, a few wise friends and mentors all good things. But I think there are some of us here today for whom the next step is actually just to surrender and to bow down and let God tell us who we are. And I believe God is here today to do just that. And we'll, we'll we'll take some time in just a few minutes to do just that. But let me warn you, this is a serious, a serious business. 
There is responsibility that comes with God telling us who we are. And we see it in that surprising little whip of the tail at the end of our two verses. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Oh, that today you would obey his voice, we might translate. When we bow down, as God reminds us who we are, the expectation is that God can tell us what to do. Submission promises obedience. Maybe that word even stuck out to you as we were going through the, the baby dedication. These, these, uh, these moments of like, to, to promise to obey you in all things. Hope that Johanna, we pray that Johanna would, would come to obey, love and obey you in all things. The two go together, love and obey in our relationship with God. And that's not always easy, as you know, even your own life, but the psalm goes on from there detailing the many ways and times when the people of God have been unwilling to listen, unwilling to obey. But there's something in this posture, this physical posture of bowing down, not a guarantee, but there's something in this posture of, of, of bowing down, in this discipline of bowing down. It taps into deep wisdom embedded in our bodies, on our faces, before God. Our defenses are down, and we're poised. We'll, um, if, 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 if we'll let our body do its work on our hearts, we're poised for obedience. There's this saying often attributed to all sorts of wise and well-known Christians across the centuries. As it turns out, it was, um, it was actually coined by Ashley Null, the little-known biographer of the Anglican bishop and theologian who may be a little known to you, Thomas, Thomas Cranmer. And the saying, though, goes like this. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind, last of all, justifies. Whatever you love, you will choose, and then your mind will come along later and give you some reasons. <laughs> Choosing, at least according to this, only feels like a choice. Once the trajectories of our hearts are set, the die is largely cast. And the question then becomes, how do we tune our hearts? I take it the sort of, one of the theses of this series, I take it, is that we can tune our hearts by putting our bodies in certain postures. And maybe that sounds crazy to you, but generations of the people of God have believed just this. And with our faces on the floor in worship, I think we can catch a glimpse of this. If we can put our bodies in this place, our hearts may even begin to change. I think this is something like what I experienced that evening in 2006. 
these big questions swirling around me. Was I a pastor or a scholar? Should I pursue a PhD? Should we plant a church? Could we possibly do both? Why had God called me to do these things and then slammed the door in my face, as it felt to me in that moment? Asking all of these questions, this guy that I'd never met before and have never um, uh, seen since uh, prayed for him. I, I'm not, it's not like mysterious. He's a real human person. I'm not like claiming some like angelic encounter. I'm just saying a guy that's like random. I just, I don't, I don't know. This guy came over and he, he prayed for me. And he said that God wanted to tell me like a ton of things. I was actually just going back through my notes he said he saw, uh, he saw wisdom and a ready pen and a gift of leadership. He said God wanted me to know that reason and the life of the Spirit were not in opposition. I had explained none of my questions to this man. He said that I would have favor in the eyes of people where I hadn't previously. That one was like, okay, take that, put that in the pocket. If I'm back here next, next fall, my face on the floor, like I'm calling the Lord to account for that one. He said, the Lord wanted me to know that there'd be a connection between the words from my private spiritual life and a public ministry involving publication. I was flabbergasted that my questions had been so, if not precisely, pre- certainly generously answered. But even more than what God said was the fact that God spoke, right? Some of you are nodding. You've experienced this. The fact that God spoke, the fact that God set up this whole thing for, like, this woman to come from Africa, for this guy to come and, like, decide to pray for folks, for me to, right? All this whole thing, that told me who I really was, who I really am, God's child, a member of God's people, in God's care, under God's protection. I wrote in my prayer journal that next morning, oh, should I just be, something about holding this. I actually have the part that I wanted to read typed out on the iPad, but this feels better. In prayer, I said, I said, I wrote to God, all of this was from you. Thank you. What does it mean? (laughs) Not just what does it mean that I'll have favor when, where, etc. Lots of hope in that. (laughs) What does it mean that you would take the time to line everything up to bring that word to me last night to confirm it by the presence of of a Uh, of a a friend and a a mentor, to talk about the favor among men as I struggle to face the PhD application process again. What does it mean that we live our lives in the middle of one big setup? A divine conspiracy, Willard has called it. It means, I think, that you are God, active and at work in our world, And that when we think we are walking alone, we are incredibly, deeply, arrogantly mistaken. You have prepared our way. It's a setup, a big cosmic joke on the lie that we walk alone, that we toil in vain, that we need to find you, invent you, protect you, bring you, package you, communicate you. No, you are the one, the one who walks, works, seeks, and finds, creates, protects, carries, translates, and speaks. Where you go, I will follow. 
That's an offer of submission, but it's also a recognition that it can be no other way. For today, I know that it is true that history itself is your revelation. I don't go to your word. I trudge through it. I breathe it in. My being, I consist in the middle of it. What are you saying? What are you doing? How long have you been saying it and doing it and I've missed it? Tune my ears to hear and my eyes to see. It was a turning point in my life. I mean, pragmatically, I went on to receive admission to the same PhD program that had rejected me the previous spring. We went on then to plant this church and I served as its lead pastor for six years, more or less the length of that PhD program, minus a year in which God rescued us in a whole other way that involved many people in this room. All the while, trusting that God was holding me, holding us, there were huge questions that still remained, many of which I wouldn't have had any inkling about for almost a decade after that. And, but it's in some of which I have to say I still hold on to to this day. But it was a turning point. A moment without which, to be honest, I think we might not all be here in this room. And I think you can hear in that prayer, in that journal entry, the fruit of that posture, fruit of bowing down, fruit of surrender, fruit of submission, maybe fruit of just being on my face. My heart was quickened again today just reading it these almost 16 years later. And I'm, and to be honest, I have to say, like, I'm not quite, I'm not sure I have quite that same posture today. And I'm not sure the last time I really bowed down flat on my face. And my hunch is that those two things are probably not unrelated. So honestly, this afternoon, I think what God wants to do here is to just like invite us to bow down. <laughs> I, I think it's that simple, <laughs> um, but I'll connect it to, the, to these two questions. I think some of us here are asking these same two questions that I was, right? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? And again, I think a lot of us in this room have done everything we, po we could possibly do to answer those questions on our own. And again, I just keep hearing from you. I don't, I don't think it's bad, right, to like, try to, put, to seek wise counsel, to read Scripture, to think it through. But I think there's an invitation today to bow down and to listen for God to tell us who we are, to listen for God to tell us what to do, what to put our hands to, and to go ahead and take steps of obedience. Why doesn't the worship team uh, come on up? <laughs> My instinct is always to invite you to stand, but I, I want you to, uh, to invite you to kneel. 
as is possible. You'll notice I, I, I didn't, I was going to go flat on my face in front of you, but um, I, I, was, I played some pickup soccer this morning, and at my age, I wasn't sure I was going to make it back up in the middle of, of, of preaching. Um, so, you know, with, within, with, within, within limits and, and respecting our, our bodies, but, but in, uh, I invite you to, to kneel, to find space if, if, you, if you want to, 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 to just lay, lay out flat. We are here to hear from you. We need to know who we are. We need to know what it is that you've asked us to do. We need to know the difference between those two things. We need our hearts formed so that as we hear from you, we would have the hearts to walk out in obedience according to the things that you've said. Come have your way. We're going to take a few more seconds just being in this posture. Notice the Lord as he interacts with you. Maybe you're hearing something from God. Maybe you're just feeling the rightness of your body being in this posture. Maybe you're feeling like, what am I doing? All those are holy feelings and holy places to be. Just take a few more seconds to notice what God is speaking and what God is doing. There's no magic formula for how to do this. There's no uh, great instruction. But I want us to linger here because I feel like the Lord's inviting us just to uh, spend a little, just a little bit more time. Just want to invite uh, 
Ian to sing part of this song over us. Feel no pressure to sing along. We don't even need to have the lyrics up. But the song lyrics will just say something like, bow down and worship. So let it be sung over you as you're in this posture. And then I'll uh, share a few more words about what God might be doing specifically. But I think God's doing something specifically right now in you. The whole reason why we have a call is just to facilitate what God is doing. But I think God's doing something right now. So let these words be sung over you. And, and again, join in in your spirit. If you want to sing, you can. But just experience yourself as bowing down before a loving parent, before a loving ruler, and receive God's gift. The word that I feel like is really on my heart and spirit to share is just desperate. I feel like some of us here are desperate for the Lord to speak identity, to speak next steps. But also some of us here know we haven't been desperate and we want to be in that posture again. So let the song just be sung over you as you think about what it means that we are not God. And that's a good thing. What it means that we can be desperate. And that's a good thing too. So come. 